Hello, everybody. Welcome to Politics Weekly. Happy New Year, everyone. Honorable Nancy Pelosi of the state of California, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives for the 116th Congress. President Trump says he's ready for another government shutdown tomorrow if he doesn't get the immigration reforms he wants. Without borders, I've said it many times, we don't have a country. So I'm going to be signing a national emergency. And it's been signed many times before. United States is running concentration camps on our southern border. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognize that some people did something. The Green New Deal. Good evening, it's the investigation that has dominated American politics for almost two years. Today, the full report into alleged Russian interference in the 2016 US presidential election has finally been released. The investigation was carried out by a former FBI director, special counsel Robert Mueller. His two questions, did President Trump collude with the Russian government and did the president try to obstruct subsequent investigations into the affair? On conspiring with Russia, the answer was no. Would you like to read it? No, you're welcome to read it. Are you ashamed of the words that you wrote down? President Swalwell, I'm very happy of what I've written, but you're welcome to read it if you'd like. All right, everybody, welcome to the very special 50th episode uh, of Politics Weekly. The infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the, the governor overwhelmed tonight by calls to resign the list growing over a racist photo from his medical school yearbook. The image shows one man in blackface, the other dressed as a member of the Ku Klux Klan. My belief that I did not wear that costume or attend that party stems in part from my clear memory of other mistakes I made in this same period of my life. That same year, I did participate in a dance contest in San Antonio, in which I darkened my face as part of a Michael Jackson costume. With the 2018 midterms almost behind us, all eyes are now on who will run for president in 2020. You and I and our 2016 campaign began the political revolution. Now it is time to complete that revolution and implement the vision that we fought for. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. The mayor just recently had a fundraiser that was held in a wine cave full of crystals and served $900 a bottle wine. I am the, literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. Because the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math. There are now 19 Democrats running for the 2020 presidential nomination. 19! And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. Quinnipiac now has Joe Biden after the debate down to 22%, barely leading Kamala Harris. She's at 20%. That's obviously a significant drop. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but 
She put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place. And Kamala Harris, senator from California, dropping out of the 2020 presidential rate. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Better O'Rourke, uh, the former Texas congressman, is dropping out of the Democratic presidential contest. Incluir cada persona en el éxito grande es inaceptable. Voy a cambiar presidente de los Estados Unidos. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. She's the favorite of the Russians. Senator Bernie Sanders took questions for the first time since his heart attack last week. Should have listened to those symptoms. So if there's any message that I hope we can get out there is that I want people to pay attention to their symptoms. You gotta love the country and, and you gotta have goals and purposes and hopes. You gotta have a closeness with the people and you've gotta understand what their hopes and dreams and desires are. I've given five years of my life to this. I have worked night and day. And I do it for one reason, and that is concern for the future of this wonderful country. And I'm probably the most blessed man alive in this country. Nobody, nobody's ever done what I've done, ever. But you do understand that I understand that it wasn't just me. I mean, you understand that. It was you and me. We did that. I only have a minute. 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, I did not choose it. But I know that I must use it. Give account if I abuse it. Suffer if I lose it. Only a tiny little minute. But eternity is in it. I have decided to submit to Congress when it returns the name of the person I believe to be best qualified to serve as an associate justice of the Supreme Court. United States Judge John Paul Stevens. All I can say is I did the best I could and I didn't, <laughs> didn't do well enough on many occasions. Who is on the way, so in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself, just like Jeffrey Epstein. Nicholas Sandman, a student at Covington Catholic High School, sued CNN and other media outlets for how he was characterized following this video of him wearing a Make America Great Again hat in support of President Trump. Sandman and his fellow students were in Washington at the time attending the March for Life. I've been truthful and consistent on every single level since day one. The mayor of Baltimore officially resigned today after being investigated for weeks over the sale of her children's books. Governor Ricardo Rosselló resigned Wednesday night amid growing protests. The outrage began nearly two weeks ago after obscenity-laced online chats between Rosselló and his advisors leaked to the public. Yearbooks have a habit of haunting politicians. This 2001 photo of Justin Trudeau in brown face is no different. I stand here you know, before Canadians, as I will throughout this campaign, and talk about the work we have to do to uh, make a better country together. And I'm going to continue to stay focused on that. It is to be Prime Minister of the whole United Kingdom. And that means uniting our country, answering at last the plea of the forgotten people 
and the left behind towns. Hi, welcome to the very special 50th episode uh, of Politics Weekly. As Marianne Williamson, thank you for joining me. I am aware, as millions of us are, this is as critical a moment in history as we have ever had. We do have breaking news tonight, a deeply divided moment playing out in American history as we come on the air. President Trump has just been impeached on both Article 1, abuse of power, and on Article 2, obstruction of Congress. You're talking about the witch hunt? Is that what you mean? Is that what you're talking about? I, I hear it's a joke. Hey, remember, they got a national election showing the conservative party is not only set to win the UK election with a clear majority, but an overwhelming majority, so large, in fact, that the Financial Times out with a headline that it looks like the conservatives' guys could win a biggest majority in UK Parliament or at least an overwhelming victory in the election since Margaret Thatcher's team did it in 1987. All right, everyone, welcome back to Politics Weekly. This is the first episode uh, of the new year. Uh, and joining me again is a returning uh, guest, uh, Scott Stalker. Thank you for joining me again, sir. Well, thank you for having me again. So, for those who are new, maybe new to the podcast, what uh, you know, what, what, what do you do? What's your experience in the political field? I was uh, involved in some political campaigns, mostly as a policy analyst, uh, advisor type role. All right. Um, uh, so, why don't we get into the news then? Uh, so the first story is uh, that the impeachment trial has started uh, for President Trump. Uh, it was uh, it, uh, originally we talked about this in a past episode with another guest, uh, Nancy Pelosi. After impeaching President Trump, uh, had uh, implied that she was uh, thinking about uh, withholding the articles of impeachment until she could ensure that a fair trial would be held in the Senate, according to her. Um, however, after uh, Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri uh, uh, um, uh, uh, came up with the idea for a, uh, a rule change that would allow the Senate to dismiss uh, the articles of impeachment after a certain period of time, uh, follow, uh, after this, uh, Senate Majority uh, Leader Mitch McConnell signed on to that, uh, and that uh, ended up uh, leading uh, Nancy Pelosi to announce that she would be delivering the articles of impeachment to the Senate. Uh, they have been delivered, uh, and uh, Chief Justice uh, John Roberts was sworn in uh, uh, to the impeachment trial. Uh, what are your thoughts on the beginning of the impeachment trial? I thought it was uh, really interesting, the response from McConnell, um, you know, when um, Leader Pelosi or Speaker Pelosi said that she would be withholding, um, you know, the impeachment uh, documents was uh, was pretty uh, funny, I thought. You know, it was, uh, you don't have any leverage over me by withholding things that I do not want. Uh, which reminded me a little bit of Wizard of Oz, because uh, I think it was kind of like, you now uh, run along before someone drops a house on you. Uh, that's a, uh, a throwback quote. But the, um, you know, overall, I think this may work 
well politically for uh, the Republicans. I I don't think, and uh, Andrew Yang has said this uh, in in a few recent interviews. I don't think that the general public is as obsessed with impeachment as the Democrats and media are. That's not to say that. Um, that's not a judgment of the impeachment itself, just on the amount of attention, you know, that we've given it. And ultimately, I thought it was improper for Pelosi to, and and maybe even a little clumsy, to try and assert herself into the Senate process. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any uh, sense and certainly was going to hold, you know, very little, if any, weight. They don't have the votes, you know, either way, even when you lose, you know, Murkowski and... Um, uh, you know, Mitch, uh, or... Uh, Collins, Susan Collins. Collins and... and uh, Romney. Romney, thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mitt. Um, so, I, you know, overall, this was inevitable. Uh, the, the rule change, uh, they had another rule change that they actually um, considered, uh, but I, and I think it was this, this is along the same lines. It just really a display. They don't want to change those rules because you want to hold on to these... Um, precedents and they wanted to explain maybe to the House uh, Speaker that she doesn't have any leverage there. All right, uh, and after uh, the uh, John Roberts was sworn in, uh, the USMCA trade deal was officially passed in the Senate. Uh, this had passed in the House a little while ago uh, after Democrats agreed to it. Um, and uh, so now it has passed in the United States Senate uh, as well. Uh, this is uh, supposed to be a replacement for NAFTA. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's a it's a tremendous deal. The uh, to, I guess to use the the uh, vocabulary of the president, one of the most striking things to me about this deal is um, Liz Warren, Senator Warren during the last debate, um, said she supported it. And I think that's, it's really important. Those things are never, well, those things are not emphasized enough. That there is truly, in some cases, a bipartisan vision. And this is not a perfect bill, um, though the president might say so in the, in the as soon as he signs it. Um, it's definitely a victory for uh, the Trump administration. but. More importantly, it appears to be a victory for workers and, and for America. And I think Canada, I mean, ultimately, I think that, you know, the net loser in this deal is Mexico, it looks like, who, you know, benefited from uh, being able to provide cheap labor. Um, not that they won't be able to do that, but, you know, one of the major facets of the deal is um, the ability to unionize workers in Mexico um, and that may play a really important role in the long game, um, you know, in North America, um, standard of livings, especially uh, below, um, you know, the U.S. border. So ultimately, it's incredible to me that uh, the Trump administration was able to put together a, a huge international, you know, trade deal um, and that it has bipartisan support. I don't think enough, probably, attention will be paid to that, but um, it's a victory for the administration, certainly something he's going to tout 
we will probably hear ad nauseum and, uh, and probably should. Uh, it's good for workers also. All right. Uh, well, uh, let's move on to the next story then. Uh, so the next story is about the recent Democratic uh, primary presidential debate this week. Um, six candidates competed on a stage in what is in what will be the last Democratic debate until the Iowa caucuses, uh, the Iowa caucus. Uh, in two weeks on Monday, February 3rd is when it's scheduled to be held. Uh, the participating candidates included uh, former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, Massachusetts Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, and businessman Tom Steyer. Uh, there were some heated uh, moments, such as when uh, Bernie Sanders was asked about a an alleged quote he said where he uh, was accused of saying a woman couldn't be president to Senator Warren. Senator Warren claimed it was true. Uh, Senator Sanders uh, said it was not. Uh, a leaked... Uh, 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 encounter through the microphones was leaked after the debate uh, that showed uh, uh, a, conf- a heated confrontation between Warren and Sanders with Warren uh, blasting Sanders and saying that uh, she thought he had accused him of being a, or he had accused her of being a liar on national television. Um, there were also some controversies about the debate as many Democrats uh, complained that the stage was an all-white stage, uh, as uh, uh, as businessman Andrew Yang uh, did not qualify for this debate, uh, meaning that every single candidate on the stage was Caucasian. Um, uh, as it stands, the Iowa caucuses, which are about to come up, uh, appear to be down to the wire with uh, uh, with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, Vice President Joe Biden and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg in a virtual deadlock, uh, according to polls right now. Uh, What were your thoughts on the uh, newest Democratic debate? Well, uh, I think, generally speaking, um, it lacked a little fire. I was hoping for a little more. Um, It's interesting to me because this was the last opportunity that these folks had, you know, with a national audience, a very large uh, portion of them probably tuning in maybe for the first time, maybe, you know, for the second or, th- or perhaps even a third time to this um, debate series. So you have an opportunity to really speak to um, what you might call prime primes, people that are uh, motivated to vote in the primaries and are seeking information about the candidates. So this is your opportunity to speak to them and differentiate yourself from the rest of the field. So I, obviously the Liz uh, Warren, Senator Warren, um, you know, uh, I would have to call it an accusation because I don't have any firsthand knowledge and I don't think any firsthand knowledge has been put out other than uh, by the senator herself perhaps in in that at the end of the debate in the uh, hot mic moment, you know, uh, she seemed quite uh, upset uh, with 
um, you know, uh, Bernie. And, um, you know, so uh, they obviously leaked that with a certain timing in mind. There's no, they've had that uh, since, you know, 2018, since that moment happened. She cataloged it, rightfully so. I, I'm assuming it happened. I believe it, it probably did. Bernie has actually had a history, um, which is his followers, uh, you know, seem to sweep under the rug, but he's, you know, uh, he wrote about um, women in, actually enjoying rape. Uh, that is one of the things that Bernie Sanders has written um, and since apologized for. But um, there is some, you know, in the Bernie Bros, probably is not the greatest name uh, for, um, you know, a candidate's uh, supporters if um, you potentially have a problem with women. Um, I thought she was going to make more of that. There was definitely a moment she was given. I, they, her team did a great job at preparing her. Uh, I loved the energy. It was probably the best energy of the night, you know, when she pointed out that the two women on stage, um, you know, uh, haven't lost an election, and the, and the men on stage, you know, um, haven't beat a Republican in 30 years, and then it seemed like Bernie didn't get the math and the exact phrasing. Her team had prepared her for that phrasing, and she delivered it perfectly. Bernie did not seem to understand that it was 30 years ago when he beat a Republican, and that's what she was referring to, so her language was accurate. Amy Klobuchar, I'm, you know, I, I tend to like her, so that means to me that she'll be out very soon. <laughs> you know, I don't think she's, she's not had a significant enough representation in the polling to make, you know, anyone think that she's going any further. So it's just a matter of time um, before she gets out. She's not in the running in Iowa. She's not in the running in New Hampshire. Those are two big uh, states. I would expect to see her out after you know, Iowa, perhaps she hangs out until New Hampshire because she's already on the ballot. Uh, but eventually, you know, she's going to pause. Um, Steyer just doesn't, I don't, I don't know. I, I know he spent a lot of money as has uh, Mayor Bloomberg. Um, and that is how he got his way to the stage. I don't begrudge him that. But I think the it's not in line with the message that the Democrat Party wants to put together, and it's certainly not in line with their branding. Um, I think Mayor Pete had an excellent night. He he really is a, an extremely intelligent man um, and speaks well beyond his years. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't be up there. He is and was, uh, anyhow, depends on which, which polling we look at, certainly um, was leading in both Iowa and New Hampshire, now it appears, uh, Vice President Biden, who I thought had a terrible night. He, sh I don't know what they did to prepare him. Two debates ago, he came out and he was fired up. In this debate, I don't know if the coffee was weak or he didn't get enough sleep or what, but it seemed like Joe was not ready to go. And, uh, and the more he talks, the more I'm fascinated that there are folks that... that believe he has the level of competency required to run a 24-7-365, um, you know, administration. I, I don't see that. I think, uh, I don't know. We, you know, we'll see. Obviously, I have predicted that he would not be the nominee. I'm still with that. 
Um, I think some early losses um, will deal a blow, but then, of course, South Carolina, uh, Nevada, and then Super Tuesday could change all of that. It could change yeah. the entire map, so we won't know what the momentum looks like at that time. I think the thing about Joe Biden, he has so many gaffes. So, I mean, it's an incredible amount of gaffes. My prediction was based on the fact that the, the and his history, uh, his voting history, is not in line with the modern-day uh, Democrat Party. I predicted that that would eventually take a toll. He seems to have had more staying power uh, than than I thought, uh, but we'll see what happens. You know, um, long term, the the Bernie um, Sanders, uh, you know, Bernie Bernie Warren uh, tiff, as it were. Apparently, they're trying to cool that off a little bit right now, but that their supporters are not necessarily in line with cooling it off. I get that. You become part of a campaign. There is um, naturally a tribal nature in all of us, and um, that does come out. Uh, you know, empathy hopefully overrides all of that in the end. But the, the guy I missed the most was Andrew Yang. Uh, I Miss Yang was trending on uh, Twitter, if you were following Twitter during the debates. And Yang, I think, really got ripped off. He has a tremendous amount of contributions. Um, so the contributor um, you know, requirement, he smashed. And really, the polling requirement, he missed by one day. And, and their, in his campaign, I think, rightfully argues that they, there were not enough polls. Um, the DNC is a political organization. The, the Republicans, the RNC, are, is a political organization. So there's no doubt that there are um, positioning and posturing that happen within these organizations that favor or disfavor certain um, outcomes that the party leadership wishes to see. You know, I think ultimately the party leadership does not support an Andrew Yang candidacy probably because uh, it is seen as more of a gimmick um, and taken less, um, you know, less seriously than the other folks that you see on stage. My my prediction short term, and as the field narrows and we lost, um, you know, Senator Cory Booker, um, is that you're going to see Warren Sanders. I mean, this it's it's easy to predict because these are the people with money. But uh, Joe Biden, uh, Warren Sanders. Judge, and I think you see Yang hang in for longer than folks um, realize because he has, it seems like, a ground game that's starting to form. He's, it is extremely unlikely that he would be the nominee, uh, but I don't think he's going to be forced to bow out. And, and the more I see long-form interviews with him, I do believe that he's in it for the right reasons. It's not uh, a, really a self-promotion thing. I think he believes in his message, and that's important because it resonates as authentic. All right. Well, let's move on then. Uh, well, oh, oh uh, final predictions about Iowa. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Buttigieg wins Iowa, mm -hmm. wins wins overall, and then my understanding is that there's a proportional allotment as long as you surpass 15%. So then... That means Yang and Klobuchar and Steyer and, well, of course, Bloomberg, I don't believe, is even registered in Iowa because he's skipping that all together. But um, they're all going to get zero because they are not going to pass the 15% uh, threshold. 
Vice President Biden will pass that threshold, um, likely, and will receive some delegate count, but it will be a smaller, uh, proportionally smaller delegate count. So I think the people that you're going to see with delegates uh, coming out of Iowa are Buttigieg, uh, Warren, uh, Sanders, and Vice President Biden. And that's really going to narrow the field to probably where it, where it should be, you know, ultimately. And it, at some point, that party is going to have to deal with the Warren-Sanders issue. That is going to have to be resolved. You've got to pick one or the other. And I think, you know, uh, Senator Warren, in my mind, has the energy and, uh, and maybe the, you know, the party on her side. We'll see, we'll see how that turns out. All right, let's move on then. So in and out. So uh, uh, as the Iowa caucuses grow closer, there are more Democrats that are dropping out of the field. Uh, for starters, author Marianne Williamson announced that she would drop out. Marianne Williamson was previously a guest on our show. Uh, Williamson uh, announced that she would be dropping out. Uh, she still had two rallies uh, scheduled in New Hampshire. She attended both of those even after she had dropped out. Uh, also, uh, former uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Julian Castro, he was the only Hispanic uh, in the race for president, uh, he has announced that he will drop out. Uh, he struggled from a campaign and financing standpoint uh, outside of him. Uh, Cory Booker, Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey, uh, has also announced that he sees no path uh, for his campaign and that he will drop out. It is rumored that Booker will instead uh, run for re-election in a Senate seat because he is up for re-election this year uh, in the Senate. Uh, what are your thoughts on these three people uh, dropping out? Uh all very talented. I enjoyed the Marianne Williamson interview on your show. Uh, I don't think she gets enough credit. She's, she's a brilliant woman um, and unaf unafraid to show an emotional side to intelligence, which I don't think is highlighted enough. Um, and, and so I, do, I, do, I did enjoy her energy. And uh, Senator Booker I also liked very much. I, I think he's brilliant. I wish he'd gained more traction. I think he got um, maybe off on the wrong foot. I know uh, President Trump called him Spartacus. Uh, I thought that was going to work to his favor because, you know, it's always about getting into the fight. Um, Julian Castro, I never thought was going anywhere, and I was shocked that he was in it, M much like uh, his uh, fellow uh, Texan, uh, Beto, who appears to be for sale. I mean, you Basically, the amount of money that you give Beto, you can make him say anything you want. He's either pro-guns or he's anti-guns. Um, it's very interesting to hear a Texan say that he supports confiscation. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, he was going for it, so good, good for him. But, you know, those, those voices, um, as, as candidates bow out, you can look at if there was a contribution, and now that their voice has essentially been sidelined, you know, it would be hard, hard to measure. My sense is that um, Cory Booker uh, had more influence than maybe the others, and, and this is a young uh, person in terms of politics. He is not 
going anywhere. It certainly will be talked about if, if Trump were to re win re-election. There's no reason why um, you wouldn't see another you know, uh, run by Cory Booker for president. Um, and uh, Castro also announcing that he will endorse uh, Elizabeth Warren's campaign for the presidency. What are your thoughts on that? I th you know, it's it's interesting to see the alignments of these folks. Um, and I and I apologize because I didn't mention Tulsi Gabbard uh, earlier uh, in terms of people who were not at the debate. <coughs> Pardon me. But uh, it is always interesting to see... Um, you know, the realignment of support as uh, the machinations of these, um, you know, primary processes move forward. I uh, remember when the uh, governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, uh, right before he got out and aligned himself with uh, Team Trump, you know, s s took down, you know, uh, did like an oppo dump on uh, Senator Rubio. Um, Interesting that you didn't see that in the Democrats. The Democrats do seem to have held together much better. The Republicans had a large field uh, at the the last run when Trump, you know, became the nominee. The Democrats had a very large field this year, and there was some squabbling, some fighting, but really um, seemed to hold together much better uh, than the the Republicans previously did. I'm sure, uh, you know, um, Julian Castro will be as energetic as possible for Liz Warren and anyone else that he feels, you know, will help remove Donald Trump from office. So it'll be, be interesting to see what his um, effect is. Uh, all right. Uh, well, let's move on then. Uh, so let's move on to the current conflict going on with Iran. Uh, so uh, after um, the killing of Soleimani, uh, the House has moved... Uh, to pass uh, the War Powers Act to limit the amount of uh, power the president has over declaring war on another country. Um, uh, this was uh, generally opposed by most Republicans and supported by most Democrats, uh, although uh, some Republicans are in favor of it. Uh, Matt Gates from Florida who is said to be a big fan of the president, uh, said that he, although he, quote, loves the president, uh, unquote, and believes that uh, the killing of Soleimani was justified, uh, he uh, is uh, against the idea of another war uh, and voted in favor of this agreement. Uh, now it goes to the Senate, uh, where it is likely to have a tougher time uh, with uh, the Senate being controlled primarily by Republicans, although two Republicans have indicated they will support it, those two being Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky and Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, on the War Powers Agreement being passed in the House? We have to find a way to get out of this cycle of endless war and at the same time, uh, I think what this particular episode uh, showed us was that there is a penalty you pay for having a president that constantly stretches the truth. Uh, because in a crucial time, you don't know exactly how much 
weight you can put into the words that he uses. Um, even though I believe all presidents, you know, have used, uh, you know, shaped and focused messaging um, in the past in order to deliver um, the content that their team on the back end thought was strategic for the nation or to send back channel messages to our enemies. It was shocking to me um, that in this in this time, this was probably the first time I thought um, the Trump administration really paid a penalty uh, for Trump's mm, truth stretching. But the, ultimately, um, the power to, de to declare war is with the Congress, but I think because of the AMUF, uh, the authorization for use of military force, and frankly, um, the broad use of that by the Obama administration with almost no opposition has gotten us to this point. It's also, obviously, the, the president, I think, has a certain limited uh, amount of days before um, where he can use military force, but uh, ultimately needs a, you know, some kind of resolution from Congress. I think if you, now ISIS would not pop up in Iran because those are natural enemies, um, which is interesting uh, for us in Iraq, but um, if you were to say that there were terrorists who were in uh, Iran, which we have done, and uh, I believe the authorization for use of military force probably covers going and attacking them. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. I don't think America is looking for another war I think our politicians, unfortunately, um, are, are not cautious enough, and maybe there's a little bit too much uh, uh, chest thumping. One thing I thought was very interesting, though, was that uh, Trump pointed out that we just spent in the last three years almost $3 trillion, over $2 trillion, on uh, revamping the military. And I would, I would guess that if you're in Iran and you are you know, uh, talking to Khomeini and, and the higher-ups there and the religious cult that actually runs the country, you take that into your calculus and you think, I think the first question is, will this man pull the trigger? And I'm betting everybody says, well, he just killed our top general. So I think the answer there is yes. Um, I think that helps uh, the Trump administration. I'm glad that it was resolved peacefully. Um, but ultimately, I, I wish the Congress would limit his um, power. He, he actually ran on getting us out of the Middle East. That was one of his things, instead of expanding it into another country. Um, so I'm, not, you, you know, I don't, you don't, I don't know how much calculus goes into Trump's decision making. I think there's a lot of instinct uh, happening, and um, maybe he did not recognize or was not advised properly on the potential repercussions of killing this general, it does look like we've gotten out of the uh, situation for the time being, though. All right. Uh, well, uh, let's move on. Why don't we go over to uh, across the pond uh, to England for a second. So the Brexit deadline uh, is approaching. Um, uh, the deadline is January 31st. Uh, but uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson would like to unite the country after uh, England leaves the European Union uh, by uh, having uh, the Big Ben clock bong uh, at, a cl at 11 o'clock on January 31st. 
which is when uh, England is set to leave the European Union. Um, however, this would cost um, uh, 500,000 pounds, um, uh, which means that uh, and he, uh, uh, Johnson has said that he does not plan to use tax dollars to do this. Uh, he plans to have this uh, be a crowdfunding effort. Um, uh, he uh, recently there's been a uh, a campaign on uh, recently put up on GoFundMe, which now has over two hundred thousand uh, pounds raised to make Big Ben bong uh, for Brexit, uh, as the campaign goes, um, and. Uh, uh, the Speaker of the uh, House of Commons, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, was encouraging uh, supporters to go uh, uh, donate to that. Uh, however, things might get a little bit more complicated uh, as the uh, government in England has said they have no intention uh, to make Big Ben bong on, uh, on Brexit Day. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I think maybe... Uh... You know, they could unify everybody if they uh, had Meghan uh, Merkel and uh, Prince Harry perhaps hit a giant gong at 11 o'clock. And that would both signify, uh, you know, uh, Brexit and Megxit. And they would take a plane directly to Canada from that moment. I think that is a potentially unifying moment that they've overlooked. Um, Certainly, it, it's amazing, the elections uh, there and how radically they changed the political landscape. It looked like they were caught in this, um, you know, kind of everything was being stymied. There would be only marginal uh, potential for Brexit or for, you know, another, the people were calling for another ballot. Uh, which would be in, potentially insulting because you didn't follow through on the first ballot, you know, which represents the will of the people. Um, so the uh, the fact that that election, which which in some ways some there's some small parallels there to the elections in Hong Kong, uh, that that dramatically swayed from you know Chinese state supporters over to you know Hong Kong. Uh, let's say independence uh, supporters in uh, England, it swayed from you know uh, a slight conservative edge to a dominating uh, conservative uh, victory, which led to this moment. And it's fascinating to watch. Um, we I know there are some folks who are very concerned about the effect on um, the Irish and what what um, that future. Um, looks like. Um, so I think that may be one of the most fascinating uh, parts of this long term. Uh, we're probably going to see this, um, some changes in the near term, but you know, what does that, what does that play out? How does that look over the next 30 to 50 years? Ultimately, I think you're, you're going to see other nations considering leaving the European Union, and this might just be the first uh, strike. But if folks want to fundraise and pay for the uh, you know, gong or the clock to be bonged or whatever the proper term is, at all the power to them. And it is likely that there's some clock keepers up there that could use a little grease, um, you know, in terms of overtime.
All right. Well, let's uh, move on uh, to the next story. So Michael Bloomberg, uh, former New York mayor Michael Bloomberg, has failed uh, to get on the ballot for the Nevada caucus. He had previously said that he would not uh, uh, participate in the Iowa or New Hampshire primary slash caucus, but uh, he intended to get on the South Carolina uh, or sorry, not the South Carolina, the Nevada caucus ballot. Uh, however, it appears that he has failed as uh, his uh, candidacy has been rejected on that ballot. What are your thoughts on that? I, I'm, I'm calling it right now. It is going to be a Bloomberg-Patrick ticket. Ultimately, Deval Patrick as vice president, because remember, he's still running, and Bloomberg is president. Now, the... Uh, um, you know, the uh, former mayor certainly has spent the money. I, I know it's over $200 million, uh, last report I read. And it, it appears to be an ineffective uh, strategy to um, basically set the DNC's debate rules aside. Those debates, uh, so uh, for those that don't know, Mayor Bloomberg is not taking any donations from anybody. Now, you can't give him a dollar, um, which sounds... Uh, like a good strategy is that can't be bought. But the problem is that the DNC set these debate rules up and ultimately Bloomberg started too late. It's Probably that's the first problem. But, but also the DNC set these debate rules up and that is a massive um, you know, media outlet that allows people to f- find out who you are, what your thoughts are, and compare you to the rest of the field. And Mayor Bloomberg strategically decided to skip all that maybe because he thought there'd be some negatives there he couldn't you know stand the heat of the stop and frisk and um you know or and or you know not allowing salt on the table which you know some fringe democrats would be in favor of but probably not the mainstream um so it looks like to me i mean i don't think bloomy's gonna have to sell any of his uh properties in order to maintain his living but it looks like to me that may be the end of uh, Mayor Bloomberg. Certainly, he's not going to pick up any delegates in any states that he's not on. Maybe he's successful in getting in some of the Super Tuesday states, uh, but I don't. I don't see him or Deval Patrick uh, as being, um, you know, any kind of w- real force in this entire primary process. All right. Well, moving on. So the third party candidate uh, candidates seem to be getting fired up. Uh, as right now, uh, uh, a former Democratic candidate for president from 2016 has announced that he will seek the third party line. Former Rhode Island Governor Lincoln Chafee uh, has officially filed to run on the Libertarian Party line for the presidency. Um, uh, he, uh, uh, he ran previously for president uh, in 2016. Uh, he did not get far, uh, only averaging around, uh, only uh, polling at a small margin, uh, average-wise. He dropped out after the first Democratic debate in 2016, uh, but eventually endorsed uh, the uh, primary uh, winner, uh, former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, uh, now, Chafee is hoping to get back in the game running on the Libertarian line. Uh, there are also still rumors that Jesse Ventura may seek 
the Green Party line for president, although uh, nothing has come of that in uh, the last couple months. Uh, what are your thoughts on Lincoln Chafee announcing his run on a third party for president? I think that's good for the Libertarian Party. Uh, I wish that the, uh, I hope that the party does well. Um, I think it offers an alternative uh, view on some things. And um, in some ways, you know, uh, the Libertarian Party is very correct on some things and, and probably very uh, too absolutist to be correct on other things. Uh, that's generally how I think, I think Libertarians would generally agree with that, uh, especially if they've studied the party and the party positions. I think this is good. It, it brings um, some competence um, to, you know, represent the Libertarian Party. And, and hopefully, you know, you'd hope that the Libertarians could become a force to be a difference maker in elections in the future. That would be, you know, potentially the, or really, realistically, the presidency is out of reach. Uh, although the, the last cycle with uh, Hillary and Trump uh, was probably the best chance Libertarians had in quite a while. Uh, certainly the most uh, press they've gotten. Um, but what what I think the uh, party, you know, should sh shoot for initially would be kind of um, an influencer. So if you can get 5% of the electorate, you know, nationwide, you can change the outcome of elections. And you don't want the tail wagging the dog, but you can influence policy positions in order to gain the support of that type of political body. So if it's crawl, walk, run, if the libertarians continue to get uh, competent uh, representation, uh, people that are, poli the, the, you know, the thing about uh, Gary Johnson is, is he was a very sweet man, but Bill Weld was the obvious policy wonk uh, between the two of them. And I think it's important to be able to unpack a lot of the complex uh, positions that libertarians have um, and how what their effects might be. So this this is good for the Libertarian Party, and hopefully they can continue to build uh, around you know solid representation like this. Uh, all right, then let's move on. So uh, Andrew Yang's uh, wife Evelyn Yang is now claiming she was sexually assaulted uh, by uh, I believe it was a cardiologist uh, while she was pregnant with uh, her first child. Uh, she recently came out about this. Um, the person who was her cardiologist is a uh, is now a registered sex offender, but he is denying uh, that uh, that was that that was what happened. What are your thoughts on that? What was her name? Uh, Evelyn Yang. Yeah. So the um, and I should know that from reading his uh, uh, Twitter. I mean, it's horrifying. So the. Um, the Yang uh, relationship, which um, um, Andrew uh, Yang has put uh, out in publicly in many ways, um, appears very sweet and very honest, and I believe her. And um, you know, I feel very badly, but the uh, it, it it appears that um, you know she was taken advantage of. And that is not unlike other stories that we've heard recently from uh, folks who put their trust in uh, doctors um, and other people that are in positions of uh, power and influence over our lives. 
and maybe don't realize what's happening to them in the moment, but later are able to kind of reanalyze the situation and, and then at that time have that realization that they had been taken advantage of. Uh, so that's a tragedy for anyone. Um, and it's something, unfortunately, that I think we're seeing that pattern more often now. Uh, all right, uh, and let's move on to the next story. Uh, so uh, in the uh, two Senate races, uh, uh, Republic, two Republicans in two Senate races have just announced that they will not be running for Senate. Um, one is in New Hampshire, where uh, former Trump campaign advisor uh, Corey Lewandowski was rumored to run. Uh, however, Lewandowski has announced recently that he does not intend to run in that race. Um, uh, as for another race, Wyoming, uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, the daughter of former U.S. Vice President Dick Cheney, uh, was rumored uh, to uh, uh, seek out that seat after incumbent Mike Enzi uh, announced that he would retire. Uh, however, she has also said that she will pass uh, on a run for that seat. What are your thoughts on that? Generally, uh, if the Republicans... I, I don't know what the overall numbers look like as for a Republican Senate. I know that it's likely that they will maintain the Senate. Generally, when incumbents are... Um, Retiring is when the highest vulnerability happens for those particular seats. Scandal is another reason why there's vulnerability for different seats. Um, but overall, there's a small piece of me who is fascinated by the prospects of a Democrat-controlled Congress and a Trump presidency and how short that presidency might be. Um, not good for the nation, uh, certainly, but you know, I, I don't know. I, uh, Liz Cheney is extremely competent. Um, I think she's uh, very bright and, um, and certainly has some of the grit uh, from her father with a, with a lot more, um, you know, it, to, in, in my mind, a lot more um, appeal. I don't think uh, uh, many folks would say there was a large amount of charisma with Vice President Cheney, but that her, his um, daughter appears to have that. So, you know, we'll see as the, um, as the clock ticks, we might see some more, um, you know, incumbents get out. The votes, the thing that, you know, just taking it back to the impeachment, the thing that I, Pelosi did not want is that when you have to vote, you know, and you're in a close district, and you vote against the president, and maybe it's a district that the president uh, won, such as, you know, Rensselaer County and uh, Kinderhook here in New York State, and Anthony Delgado seems vulnerable at that point uh, because he had to go on record and, and go against Trump. And although in some, it depends on where you are in the country, that statement sounds either ridiculous or it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, perfect logic. If you're down south and watching the LSU game, you know, you got to, uh, the president got a tremendous amount of applause and respect from that audience. If you're in Washington watching a baseball game, you know, you have the opposite effect. Um, so ultimately, that may uh, play out in the Senate as well. And we'll see what those, um, the, maybe the most interesting thing will be to see if those Senate Republicans uh, who are in 
sort of uh, battle line states if they, uh, you know, go in the same direction. Um, ultimately, there's a lot of time before now in November, um, so we'll see how it plays out. Any other stories you wanted to talk about? Uh, well, the only other uh, thing this week, and it is impeachment focus, is that the president's uh, lawyers responded to impeachment, and it's the one thing I, I really can't get past with this entire thing. There's actually no crime asserted, no no crime that we have penal code for. You would say, you know, penal code, uh, you know, X, Y, Z is what the president violated. Um, high crimes is not a general term. <laughs> high crimes is a very specific term. And so I just, I never understood, uh, and that was the, that's the, the gist of the letter is this entire process is invalid due to the fact that there's no actual crimes being alleged. Um, so that, you know, impeachments are indictments, right? And so the president is frankly, or has been indicted, but when you, if you serve on a grand jury and you're hearing, you know, a case for potential indictment, they cite the penal code and it's very well-defined and sometimes there's precedent which informs that, you know, penal code so you understand a little bit more about the law, but there's none of that in this. So I, I'm just fascinated by it. It's almost... It almost gives weight to what the president says is this is a witch hunt, or maybe that was the Russia thing. Maybe this is the hoax. I think Russia was a hoax and this is the witch hunt. But, um, you know, and that's unfortunate because it's probably, probably there are crimes that the, that the president has actually been involved in, um, and maybe they don't have the proof. It seemed like the entire, um, you know, the House. Um, witness uh, testimony was very bad for the president, but no one actually heard him say the thing, you know, you know, withhold. Or the people that did, he's not allowing to testimony, uh, claiming executive privilege. So uh, my uh, forecast for the future is Joe Biden does not become the nominee. President Trump does not get um, get impeached by the Senate. I think that's a pretty solid one. And you know, we'll see whether or not there is an opponent for Trump, you know, come November, that will sway people away. One thing uh, that I think we haven't talked about, also known, is the economy is incredibly hot. Incredibly hot. In a time when the rest of the globe, you know, so we've been a globally connected economy for decades, the rest of the globe is slumping. They're not seeing the growth that we're seeing, the continued job growth, um, the stock market being up and the value of the dollar being up at the same time is an incredible show of strength. If the value of the dollar declines, but your stocks go up, you've gained no real wealth. There's no, there's no actual net gain there. It's, it's just inflation. But that's not what's been happening. And it appears, and many economists believe that this year, there's no sign of recession. So this could be one of the longest, if, if, if you know, periods of growth, which Obama has to get uh, credit for, um, but along with the Trump administration, because they didn't, um, certainly didn't hurt things. And now you have the China deal uh, taking place. We just took them off the uh, list of currency manipulators. That's part of that uh, deal. Of course, it's, that's the uh, back channel part of the deal. They don't say that's why they're doing it, but that's why they're doing it. They're going to buy $200 billion of our products. Um, we have some better IP protection, uh, you know, for intellectual property theft. 
of our software. We have better uh, competitive guarantees. One of the big things about China is they've shut out some of our American companies. That's why they don't have um, you know, an enormous um, Facebook or Google presence because they didn't allow those, um, or Twitter, uh, they didn't allow those companies into the markets until they had their own companies, which are government-backed, government-backed companies uh, enforced. You know, so the, um, the Trump administration, in terms of economics, has, has been a success. And I, I'm, I say the word administration because it, I, it is really about a very large team of people, hundreds of people that make that possible. It's not really about just the president, although he gets the credit or the blame for it. So I think one of the stories of the 2020 election will be who the Democrats choose, but then also how does that economy, if that economy persists, people generally feel more secure when they have they see they have jobs their friends and family have jobs that the economy is moving in the right direction and you won't get the motivation from the democrats you're going to hear uh, the same thing that you hear every this is the most consequential election of our lifetime that is the, that is you can have that printed and you know it's it's good to roll out every four years certainly it's true elections have consequences but if the economy is doing well my prediction is that it'll be very difficult to beat this, um, you know, to beat this president. Um, now you say, uh, oh, well, we'll see if the Democrats come up with a candidate that can sway the voters that's not Biden. Uh, is there any specific candidate you can think of that could realistically win the nomination in your mind? If, if Liz Warren didn't have the uh, Medicaid for all uh, stance, which she has been softening uh, because she sees it polls terribly with Democrats, um, you know, the, the fantasy of uh, Medicare for All is great. It's empathetic and certainly something everyone wants to uh, make sure everyone's taken care of. But the reality is uh, that the, the, certainly a super majority of Republicans oppose it and a majority of Democrats oppose it. Very difficult to run on that. Um, it is something like a third of our economy uh, and you're going to hand it over to the government, which which does nothing well. I mean, it really, really does not do, uh, probably since the space race, um, really hasn't done a whole heck of a lot, you know, you would say efficiently. Um, so I wonder if she um, is is the best. I also, I know Buttigieg, um, you know, he has polled very poorly with black voters. Um, but I, I just, I think he is incredibly energizing uh, to the Democrats. And that's really what it's about, is is getting people excited and motivated uh, to go out and pull the lever, or in this case, I guess, fill in the oval at this point. Um, and I think Liz Warren and Buttigieg have that energy. I think if you have a, um, a Joe Biden, what I believe is that there will be so many gaffes and that he's, again, a flawed candidate, probably not as flawed as Hillary. Um, and I guess the appeal of Biden, the perceived appeal is, how does he do in that Rust Belt? Does he bring back Wisconsin? How does Michigan look? And how does Ohio look? I think generally the Democrats believe that Biden is more appealing there, although I think you could argue that Buttigieg has articulated a lot of the issues you know, in that area. So. We'll see. I don't think Bernie Sanders can become president. 
Um, so I could, I could, in in my mind, I, I've talked to a lot of Democrats who do not like socialism. These are mostly, you know, Democrats in their uh, late forties, uh, in their fifties and sixties and onward. Um, so, you know, there's a saying that's something like, if you're, if you're not a socialist when you're 25, you have no heart, and if you're not a conservative when you're 35, you have no brain. I guess that kind of plays into this. Um, I don't think America is ready for socialism. Bernie has. I mean, I think his honeymoon was in Moscow. Um, if you look at the um, Mueller uh, Russia report, the two candidates that uh, Russia supported were Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. And that's buried in the report. But if you read it, that's who they wanted. Um, because it's good because it will either advance the goals of, of Russia to defeat our capitalist uh, society, or it'll tear us apart because, you know, uh, Trump is a divisive character. Um, so I don't think Bernie can get past that. And for that fact, I, you know, if, it, if they could get his folks to be behind uh, Liz Warren, they would have the nomination and they'd have a lot of the energy because the, the Bernie bros are definitely energized. I think Liz Warren's people are also energized. Um, so I think the person that has no chance is, is Bernie Sanders and the person who gives Trump a better chance is um, is Vice President Biden, all due respect, uh, but that the economy is going to drive a lot of that as well. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having Great me. Great to have you on again. Thank you. This is the first episode of the year. Let me just get this. Uh, you know, I think if you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. He's one of the most far-left candidates in the Democratic field. His unconventional ideas have given him a cult following and made him one of the front-runners in the Democratic primary. This is Bernie Sanders, and this is his story. The Candidates Keep America Great! Their story. Yeah, you're always when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present. And their fight for the White House. I have the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that, sure, if people want to specula speculate about running mates, I encourage that, because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. Bernard Sanders was born on the 8th of September, 1941 in Brooklyn, New York to Elias Ben-Yehuda and Dolores Sanders, both immigrants from Russia and Poland. Sanders' uncle Abraham Sknutzer was killed during the Holocaust, and the events leading up to Adolf Hitler's election as Chancellor of Germany sparked Sanders' interest in politics. Sanders attended PS 197 in elementary school. 
His older brother Larry has said that although basic necessities like food and housing were affordable for the family, more expensive items like rugs or curtains were harder to afford. Sanders attended James Madison High School and joined the track team where he eventually became captain and took third place in a Nick Indoor race. Sanders ran for student body president in high school, but came in third place. Shortly after graduation, Sanders was faced with tragedy when his mother died at just 46 years of age. A few years later, his father died at just 57 years of age. Sanders attended Brooklyn College, and eventually the University of Chicago. At the time he became a writer, and started writing rape fetish erotica, which many have criticized him for today. Sanders quickly became a political activist in college. He joined Young People's Social League and joined the civil rights movement in the 1960s. He was even arrested at one point for his involvement. He also rallied against George Beadle's segregated housing initiative and attended Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous March on Washington. Sanders also heavily protested the Vietnam War. After graduating from college, Sanders perused different jobs like being a teacher and a carpenter. However, he decided to move to Vermont in 1968. He made what he called radical educational films for public schools in the state. Ordinary citizens feel very hopeless about the future. In Burlington, we have shown that you can stand up to the system and at least you can win some good victories. Sanders launched multiple third-party campaigns on the Liberty Union Party line. In 1972, he ran for governor of Vermont against Democrat Thomas Salmon and Republican Luther Hackett. Salmon defeated Hackett by a 53-43% margin. Sanders only received 1% of the vote. Sanders also ran for Senate that year, only getting 2% of the vote against Democrat Randolph T. Major, Jr.'s 33%, and Republican incumbent Robert Stafford's 64%. Sanders made another effort for Senate two years later, this time getting 4%, as compared to Republican Congressman Richard Mallory's 46% and Democrat Patrick Leahy's 49%. Sanders ran again for in 1976, once again seeking the Liberty Union line. He faced Republican Richard Snelling and Democratic State Treasurer Stella Hackle. Sanders did slightly better, receiving a better than expected 6% of the vote. However, he still came in third as Hackle received 40% of the vote, and Snelling received 53%. Sanders finally saw his big break in 1981 when he ran for mayor of Burlington, Vermont. I won the election, I think, because we effectively put together a coalition of low-income people, elderly people, who in Vermont are very often up against the world economically in very bad shape. Sanders challenged incumbent Democratic Mayor Gordon Paquette. Sanders, who had never won an election in his life, which led to many not viewing him as a serious candidate. This led to Paquette barely campaigning due to his belief that Sanders couldn't win. However, in a down-to-the-wire race, Sanders beat Paquette by just 10 votes, making him the city's 37th mayor at just 39 years of age. If I were the president of the largest bank in Burlington, I'd be real nervous about you. 
Well, they may be. Sanders called himself a socialist during his time as mayor, and has come under fire for statements he has made about the Soviet Union at the time. I think it's also fair to point out that when we were in Moscow, for example, I think most of the people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. Sanders hosted a foreign policy speech with libertarian socialist Noam Chomsky, whom he praised. Sanders balanced the city's budget and brought a minor league baseball team, the Vermont Reds, to town. His legacy was most remembered for his Lake Champlain renovation efforts. Sanders was easily re-elected multiple times. In 1983 he defeated Democrat Judy Stephanie by 52-30% margin. He also beat Republican James Gilson who received 17% of the vote. In 1985, he faced a more serious challenger, former Democratic Lieutenant Governor of Vermont, Brian Burns as well as Independent Diane Gallagher. In spite of the challenge, Sanders won by a 56-31% margin over Burns. Gallagher received 12% of the vote. In 1987, he was elected to his final term, defeating Democrat Alderman Paul Lafayette by a 55-30% margin. In 1987, U.S. News and World Reports ranked Sanders amongst the greatest mayors in America and called Burlington one of the most livable cities. When they stood up to the bosses and the government and fought to create the unions that would provide them with decent wages and decent working conditions, freedom, dignity, the willingness to stand up against the mighty and the powerful, the human spirit, strong, resilient, alive. In 1988, Vermont's single Republican congressman Jim Jeffords announced he'd retire from his House seat to run for U.S. Senate. The vacancy gave Vermont Democrats state lawmaker Paul Poirier, whilst Republicans nominated Vermont's Lieutenant Governor Peter Smith. Sanders launched an independent run for the seat. With Poirier losing momentum, Democrats turned to Sanders. On election day, Sanders lost to Smith by a 41-37% margin. A year later, Sanders retired as Burlington's mayor to focus on a rematch in 1990. This time, Vermont's Democratic Party cross-endorsed him. Smith's decision to support an assault weapons ban hurt him with gun-owning constituents. In 1990, Sanders beat Smith by a 56-39% margin. Sanders angered colleges on both sides of the aisle for accusing them of being bought off by lobbyists. Sanders started the Congressional Progressive Caucus, but refused to caucus with either party. He also fought for banking reform in the House. In 1992, Sanders ran for re-election. He faced Republican Tim Philbin. Democrats nominated Lewis Young. In spite of challenge from both sides, Sanders defeated Philbin by a 57-30% margin. Young only received 7% of the vote. They want to see our industry be rebuilt. 
That's what they want to see. No more B-2 bombers. No more Star Wars. Let's make the quality products we need. Let's invest in American industry. The Amer no, I won't yield. The American people want to see our kids educated. In 1994, Sanders faced his most formidable foe yet, Republican John Kirill. Kirill was gaining momentum in the race, and a strong Republican current in 1994 gave Sanders the fight of his life. Sanders ultimately beat Kirill, albeit by narrow 49-46% margin. This marks Sanders' narrowest congressional win to date. Sanders had more luck in 1996 when he beat Republican Susan Sweetser by a 55-32% margin. Democrat Jack Long received 9% of the vote. In 1998, he beat Republican Mark Candon by landslide 63-32% margin. He saw his biggest House victory in 2000, when he beat Republican Corin Ann Kirin by a 69-18% margin. Democrat Peter Diamond Stone received a measly 5% of the vote. Sanders retained his progressive voting record, opposing the war in Iraq. In 2002, he beat Republican Bill Newt by a 64-32% margin. Sanders ran for his final House term in 2004 when he beat Republican Greg Park by a 67-24% margin, and Democrat Larry Brown, who received 7% of the vote. Sanders ardently opposed the bailout of big banks in his final term, and opposed the Patriot Act. In 2006, incumbent Senator Jim Jeffords, who was elected as a Republican but had since become an independent who caucuses with Democrats announced he would not be seeking re-election. Sanders ran on the Democratic line to replace him. He was endorsed by New York Senator Chuck Schumer. Sanders won the Democratic primary, but rejected the Democratic line to run as an independent. Nevertheless, no Democrat appeared on the ballot, and Sanders retained the endorsement of the Vermont Democratic Party. He faced Republican businessman Richard Tyrant. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message because dishonest ads should not be part of Vermont politics. For months, my opponent, Rich Tarrant, has been spending millions telling us about himself. Well, it's his money and he can spend it if he wants, but he has no right to distort my record or what I stand for. I can't match his money ad for ad, but I'll let the truth speak for itself. I trust you to use your good judgment. Please go to my website and check the facts. Thanks for listening. Sanders beat Tarrant by a 65-32% margin. Sanders announced he would caucus with the Democratic Party, which gave them a narrow 51-49-seat majority in the U.S. Senate at the time. Sanders pushed for banking reform and supported an auditing of the Federal Reserve. Sanders opposed President-elect Barack Obama's nomination of Timothy Jeefner for Treasury Secretary. He, along with fellow Democrats such as West Virginia Senator Robert Burke, Wisconsin Senator Russ Feingold and Iowa Senator Tom Harkin all voted no on Jeefner's nomination, though he was eventually confirmed by the Senate. We don't know what the overall election results for the United States will be tonight. But what we do know 
is that this is a pivotal moment in American history. In 2012, Sanders ran for re-election against Republican John McGovern, a former Massachusetts state lawmaker. Sanders beat McGovern by a 71-24% margin, the largest victory of his political career. In 2016, Bernie Sanders made a crucial announcement. Hillary Clinton's first official challenger for the Democratic presidential nomination. Sanders announced his candidacy for President of the United States as a Democrat. Initially, Sanders wasn't taken seriously, however, Sanders saw a huge following of younger supporters and saw a huge pouring in of donations. However, he still lacked in the polls in comparison to front-runner, former First Lady, former New York Senator and former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Madam Chair, I move that the convention suspend the procedural rules. I move that all votes, all votes cast by delegates be reflected in the official record. And I move that Hillary Clinton be selected as the nominee of the Democratic Party for President of the United States. Sanders received polarized reaction for his positions. Many praised what they viewed as parallels to President Franklin D. Roosevelt who argued for workers' rights and left-wing populism. Others criticized Sanders for his socialist voting record. Sanders won 23 states, but lost the nomination to Clinton. WikiLeaks later leaked classified emails from the Democratic National Committee revealing me-dailing occurred to help Clinton obtain enough delegates to win the Democratic nomination. Sanders endorsed Clinton's campaign for president regardless, but changed his party registration from Democrat back to independent, though he would continue to caucus alongside Democrats. Clinton would eventually lose the general election to Republican New York businessman Donald Trump. Sanders instantly became a staunch critic of Trump and campaigned for left-wing socialist candidates like himself during the 2018 midterm elections. One such candidate was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who defeated New York Representative Joe Crowley in a Democratic primary upset. This is what organizing looks like. Sanders was re-elected yet again to the U.S. Senate in 2018, by a 67-27% margin defeating Republican Lawrence Lupin. Rumors spread that Sanders would run for president again as a Democrat in 2020. In early 2019, he announced he'd do just that. If elected, he would be America's first Jewish president and would be the oldest president at 79 years of age. Polls consistently show him in second behind for former U.S. Vice President and former Delaware Senator Joe Biden. Now, he hopes to be America's 46th president. Welcome to the political revolution. To learn more about every candidate for president, keep it right here on Politics Weekly 
and make sure to stay after each episode for Presidential Profiles 2020. We need to call it out, we need to attack it head on, and we need to make structural change in our government, in our economy, and in our country. She is one of the most popular and well-known sitting Democratic senators. Her polarizing views have bounced her up to the top of the 2020 Democratic field. This is Elizabeth Warren, and this is her story. The candidates keep America great. Their story. Yeah, you're always when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present. And their fight for the White House. I have the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that, sure, if people want to specula speculate about running mates, I encourage that, because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. Elizabeth Ann Herring was born on June 22, 1949 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma to Pauline and Donald. Warren has described her family's situation as middle class. She and her family grew up in Norman, Oklahoma. For many years she claimed to be of Native American descent, a claim that landed her in hot water. Her family fell into debt after her father got a heart attack. Her mother found a job at a Sears shop. Herring herself intended on becoming a teacher, but dropped out of college to marry Jim Warren at age 19. She got a job at IBM, forcing her to move to Houston before moving to New Jersey for a job offer Jim received. They had two children together before divorcing. She eventually married law professor Bruce Mann just two years after divorcing Jim. Warren taught at a school for children with disabilities before pursuing a career as a lawyer. She became a professor at Rutgers University. She shortly taught at Harvard as well. In 2008, then-Senate Majority Leader and Nevada Senator Harry Reid appointed Warren to an oversight committee. President Barack Obama controversially appointed her too as the special advisor for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau before 2010. It now looks as though the President Obama, the administration, is poised to appoint Elizabeth Warren to head up the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Warren retired after less than a year to run for U.S. Senate in Massachusetts. In the Democratic primary, she faced state lawmaker Tom Conroy and Newton Mayor Seti Warren. Ultimately, Warren won the nomination and faced incumbent Republican Senator Scott Brown, who was seeking a full term in office. The race became the most nationally watched non-presidential race of the 2012 election season. In 2011, Warren gained traction for a viral video where she explains her economic Plan. However, Warren's past Native American claims came to life. Brown ran a moderate campaign for re-election. Warren was a keynote speaker at the 2012 Democratic National Convention, advocating for the re-election of President Barack Obama. The race became close, but Warren opened up a lead in the final weeks of campaigning. I'm Elizabeth Warren. I'm running for the United States Senate, and before you hear a bunch of ridiculous attack ads, I want to tell you who I am. 
In November, Warren defeated Brown by a 54-46% margin. Warren began drafting legislation to add more Wall Street regulations. Many people have categorized her positions as left-wing populism. Many rumors began circulating that she'd run for president in 2016, but Warren declined. Many progressives hoped she'd endorse Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, as many compared her policies with his. However, she controversially endorsed former U.S. Secretary of State, former New York Senator and former U.S. First Lady Hillary Clinton. This was a decision that led to protests outside of Warren's Senate office. Many rumors stimulated that Clinton might choose Warren as her running mate, which would in turn lead to a two-woman ticket. However, Virginia's Senator, former Governor and former Richmond Mayor Tim Kaine was chosen instead. You were asked why a career as a Wells Fargo insider like you, uh, why that made you the right person to fix the fundamental problems at the bank. And you said, quote, because I've been making change for 29 plus years at Wells Fargo. Clinton eventually lost to New York businessman Donald Trump. Warren became an instant critic of Trump. Trump attacked Warren for false claims of Native American heritage. Yes, we're here. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Poco. The conflict was settled when Warren released data showing she was only one in 1,024th Native American, sparking outrage from Native American tribes. Warren ran for re-election in 2018, facing Republican state lawmaker Jeff Deal by a landslide 60 to 36 percent margin. Warren announced in late 2018 that she'd be running for president. Some polls show her in the top three Democrats running in the 2020 election, with some even showing her in second behind former U.S. Vice President and former Delaware Senator Joe Biden. Now, she hopes to America's 46th president. This is the fight of our lives. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly. And so I called him, the kind of man he was, I called him on Wednesday and said, Senator Boggs, I'm not feeling well. I don't feel well at all, so I'm not going to be there for Returns Day. And there was silence, and he said, Joe, he said, I was proud to run every time I won, and I'd be proud to run, ride with you even though I lost. That's how politics used to be in my state. He is the front runner in the 2020 Democratic field. He's spent 40 years in the political game and spent eight years as vice president of the United States. Now, he hopes to be America's commander in chief. This is Joe Biden, and this is his story. The candidates keep America great. Their story. Yeah, you're always, when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present and their fight for the White House. I'm the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that, sure, if people want to specula speculate about running mates, I encourage that, because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president.
Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. was born on November 20, 1942 in Scranton, Pennsylvania in St. Mary's Hospital to Catherine Eugenia and Joseph Sr. He is the oldest of his four siblings, and is of Irish descent on his mother's side while his father is of English, French and Irish descent. He was raised in a Catholic household most of his life, and his parents were blue-collar workers from Baltimore, Maryland. Biden's great-grandfather, Edward Francis Blewett was member of the Pennsylvania State Senate. Biden's father has amassed a large quantity of wealth early in life, but suffered finically following the birth of his first son. Eventually, a lack of employment availability forced Biden and family to move to Claymont, Delaware in 1953, where his father became a car salesman. Biden attended the Archmere Academy, where he joined the school's football team, and participated in an anti-segregation sit-in. An above-average student, Biden graduated in 1961 and attended the University of Delaware where he continued to play football. At one point, he considered a career in the sport but eventually decided against it. He began dating Nelia Hunter, a classmate at the university, and told her he hoped to become a U.S. Senator by the age of 30 and eventually become president. Biden decided to ax his plans to be on the varsity football team and focused on his political ambitions. He received a half-scholarship to the Syracuse University College of Law. Biden became disinterested in law school and came under fire for plagiarized sources in a 15-page paper. Biden blamed this on his lack of knowledge regarding citations. He received an F on the assignment, though it was later erased from his record. Eventually, Biden graduated and managed to be exempt from the Vietnam War draft. He married Nelia. He had three children with her. From 1968 to 1969, Biden registered as an independent. He clerked for William Prickett, a Republican in the area, and considered himself more a Republican. However, he was disgusted by the far-right ideas of then-Democratic Delaware Governor Charles Terry. He supported moderate Republican Russell Wilson in the 1968 Delaware gubernatorial race. Wilson was successful in his attempts. In 1969, Biden registered as a Democrat to run for political office. He ran for Newcastle County Council, running a more leftist campaign despite the area being conservative. Biden won by a comfortable margin. Before taking office, Biden was already discussing a potential run for U.S. Senate. In 1972, Biden retired to run for U.S. Senate against incumbent Republican Senator J. Caleb Boggs, who was seeking a third term. Boggs initially sought to retire, but President Richard Nixon, who was seeking a second term against South Dakota Senator George McGovern that year, convinced Boggs to run again to avoid a competitive Republican primary between then-Wilmington mayor and former Congressman Harry Haskell Jr. and then-Congressman Pete DuPont. Biden was unopposed in the Democratic primary. Biden lacked campaign funds and constantly trailed to Boggs by 30 points in polls. However, Biden hoped he could gain momentum as a young, fresh candidate in contrast with the older Boggs. Biden at the time ran a pro-environmentalist, non-interventionist campaign and supported withdrawal from Vietnam. In 2004, it was disclosed that someone on Biden's campaign met with Mafia hitman Frank Sheeran and discussed the possibility of him not distributing the Wilmington New Journal, a prominent newspaper in Delaware the week before the election as the paper featured a negative as about Biden. Sheeran agreed and the newspaper ceased distribution the week before the race. Incumbent Senator Caleb Boggs is running a little behind a man named Joseph Biden who is too young to go into the U.S. Senate. He won't be 30 
Until November the 20th, Boggs is following, lagging behind Biden. Biden won by a narrow 3,162 votes on election night. However, before being sworn in, Biden was faced with tragedy. On December 18, 1972, Biden's wife Nelia died in a car accident in Hokesson, Delaware. She was only 30 years old. His youngest daughter, Naomi I was also in the vehicle, and died at just one year of age. The tragedy gave Biden also convinced Biden to resign, though he was later convinced against that decision. Biden was sworn in on January 3, 1973. Biden became a single father for four years until meeting Jill Jacobs on a blind date set up by his brother. Eventually the two were married and had one daughter, Ashley, together. During his first term, Biden pushed for more environmental regulations and opposed busing desegregation, a position which many have criticized him for to this date. In 1974, Time magazine called Biden one of the 200 faces for the future. Biden ran for re-election to a second term in 1978 and beat Republican James H. Baxter Jr., the Sussex County recorder of deeds by a 58-41-point margin. Biden became known as a more moderate senator who would vote across the aisle. He even voted in favor of President Ronald Reagan's tax cuts. After Republicans retook the Senate in 1981, Biden became the ranking minority leader of Senate Judiciary Committee. He also focused on arms control regulations. However, Biden became a bigger critic of Reagan's in 1986, when he was re-elected to a third term by a landslide, beating former Delaware State House Majority Leader John M. Burris by a 60-40% to 40 percent margin. In 1988, Biden attempted to fulfill his lifelong dream of winning the presidency. He announced his candidacy in a Wilmington train station in the summer of 1987. Become a twilight economy. An economy that is neither surging nor collapsing. Its growth, its productivity, its world position, steadily, inexorably slowing, delivering a sluggish state. At first, Biden was considered a serious contender, especially after Colorado Senator Gary Hart, who was considered the Democratic Party front-runner up to that point, dropped out due to an affair. However, Biden began to trail in the polls to Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis and Tennessee Congressman Dick Gephardt. Biden was accused of plagiarizing a speech written by former UK Labour Party leader Neil Kinnock. Biden cited Kinnock as his source during one rally, but forgot to when he gave the speech to another crowd. The controversy led Biden drop out and return to the Senate. Dukakis eventually won the Democratic nomination for president in 1988, though he lost the election to Republican Vice President George H.W. Bush. Biden returned to the Senate, and was re-elected to a fourth term in 1990, defeating Delaware's Deputy Attorney General, Republican M. Jane Brady by a landslide 63-36% margin. He came under fire for his push of the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act in 1994, which vastly expanded the death penalty. He also came under fire for supporting the Hyde Amendment which restricted some tax dollars from going toward performing abortions. In 1996, he was re-elected by another landslide margin of 60-38% over Republican businessman Raymond Clatworthy. Biden controversially voted with Bush on multiple occasions, including voting for the Iraq War. In 2002, Clatworthy challenged Biden to a rematch, but lost to him by a 58-41% margin. 
In 2004, after winning the Democratic nomination for president, Massachusetts Senator John Kerry considered Biden as a potential running mate, though he eventually selected North Carolina Senator John Edwards instead. The two lost to incumbent Republican President George W. Bush that year. Biden became a staunch opponent of Bush in his final term, opposing deploying more troops to Iraq. However, he did vote for the Bush tax cuts. In 2006, Biden's son Bo ran for Attorney General of Delaware. Although 2006 was a favorable year for Democrats, Bo Biden faced tough competition from Newcastle Superior Court Judge Ferris Wharton, a Republican. However, Bo Biden went on to beat Wharton by a 53-47% margin. In 2008, Joe Biden announced he'd run for the presidency again. Friends, Today I filed the necessary papers to become candidate for President of the United States. Biden faced a hard time polling and trailed more prominent candidates like New Mexico Governor, former U.S. Energy Secretary, former U.N. Ambassador and former Congressman Dennis Richardson, former North Carolina Senator and nominee for Vice President in 2004 John Edwards, and the two front-runners, New York Senator and former First Lady Hillary Clinton, and Illinois Senator Barack Obama. Biden's lackluster poll numbers gave pundits little reason to take him seriously. Biden placed fifth in the Iowa caucus, only getting 23 votes. During the New Hampshire primaries, Biden places sixth, still failing to get 1% of the vote. Biden withdrew his candidacy and focused on his next Senate race. However, after Barack Obama won the Democratic nomination, Biden was announced as his running mate for vice president. So let me introduce to you the next president, the next vice president of the United States of America, Joe Biden. The Catholic dioceses in Scranton criticized Biden for his pro-choice positions on abortion and barred him from receiving Holy Communion in Scranton. He was criticized after announcing he wouldn't speak at Catholic schools if elected. No law in Delaware bars candidates for run from running for two public offices at the same time. Because of this, Biden ran for Senate and Vice President at the same time. In the Senate, he faced conservative activist Christine O'Donnell. I'm not a witch. I'm nothing you've heard. I'm you. None of us are perfect, but none of us can be happy with what we see all around us. Politicians who think spending, trading favors, and backroom deals are the ways to stay in office. I'll go to Washington and do what you'd do. I'm Christine O'Donnell, and I approve this message. I'm you. In the presidential race, he and Obama faced Republican Arizona Senator John McCain and his running mate, Alaska Governor Sarah Palin. Biden faced Palin in one debate. Weeks before Election Day, Obama and Biden pulled ahead in polling. On Election Day, the Obama-Biden ticket beat the McCain-Palin ticket by a 53-46% popular vote margin. In the Electoral College, Obama received 365 electoral votes, as compared to McCain's 173 electoral votes. Obama flipped nine states that Bush won in 2004, Colorado, New Mexico, Nevada, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, and Florida. Obama also flipped Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. The same night, Biden was also re-elected in the Senate, defeating O'Donnell by a 65-35% margin. 
Biden was sworn into his newest term on January 3, 2009, but resigned less than a week later. Obama became America's 44th president and first American-American president on January 20, 2009. Biden became the 47th vice president and America's first Roman Catholic vice president. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. And that I will well and faithfully discharge. And I will well and faithfully discharge. The duties of the office on which I am about to enter. The duties of the office upon which I'm about to enter. So help me God. So help me God. Thank you, Mr. Justice. During Biden's first term as vice president, he helped devise a plan to convince Pennsylvania Senator Arlen Specter to switch parties from Republican to Democrat, giving Democrats a supermajority in the U.S. Senate. He also helped devise the Iraq withdrawal plan. In 2010, Bo Biden was encouraged to run for his father's old Senate seat in a special election. However, he declined, instead opting to seek a second term as Delaware's attorney general. Bo Biden had no Republican challenger, and only faced independent Doug Cam, who he defeated by a 79-21% margin. Biden supported deploying troops into Libya in 2011. Biden came under fire for many of his gaffes. Pardon me? In 2012, he and Obama sought out a second term in the White House. They faced former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney and Wisconsin Congressman Paul Ryan on the Republican ticket together. During the campaign, Biden came under fire for a comment he made about slavery. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. Biden and Ryan participated in one debate before the election. Polls indicted a dead heat between Obama and Romney. In spite of this, Obama and Biden managed to win a second term in the White House. The Obama-Biden ticket won 332 electoral votes, compared to the Romney-Paul ticket which received 206 electoral votes. Obama and Biden also managed to win the popular vote by a 51-47% margin. Despite this, Romney managed to flip two states Obama carried in 2016, North Carolina and Indiana whilst also flipping back Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. Biden was sworn into a second term on January 20, 2013. Throughout his second term, he advocated in favor of gun control. In 2016, Obama was unable to run for a third term due to term limits. Biden was heavily rumored to run, as the it's customary for vice president to succeed the president in office. Biden heavily considered a run. Biden's son Bo retired as attorney general of Delaware in 2015 to focus on a potential run for governor of the state in 2016. However, Joe Biden was soon faced with tragedy once again. Biden's son Bo was diagnosed with brain cancer. On May 30, 2015, he died at just 46 years of age. His death took a toll on Biden. 
Speculation continued to rise about another presidential run. An empty stage was reserved for the first Democratic debate in 2016 in case Biden decided to enter last minute. However, Biden decided against the idea and announced in fall of 2015 that he wouldn't be a candidate for president. He endorsed former Secretary of State, former New York Senator and former First Lady Hillary Clinton for the presidency. She won the nomination, but lost to New York businessman Donald Trump. It was leaked that Clinton was considering making Biden her Secretary of State should she win. Former Democratic National Committee Chair Donna Brazile revealed in a book that she considered replacing the ticket of Clinton and Virginia Senator and former Governor Tim Kaine with Biden and New Jersey Senator former Newark Mayor Cory Booker. Biden left office on January 20, 2017 and was replaced by Indiana Governor and former Congressman Mike Pence. Biden left on an Amtrak train. After leaving office, Biden spent most of his time campaigning for Democrats during the 2018 midterms. Rumors emerged that Biden would run for president in 2020. In 2019, Biden was attacked for his past conduct toward women. In spite of this, Biden announced his campaign for the White House that month. Biden is generally viewed as a moderate, though he has claimed to be the most progressive Democrat in the 2020 field. Now, he's hopes to be America's 46th president. If elected, he'd be the oldest man ever to win the White House at 78 years of age. Polls have indicated Biden is the front-runner in the Democratic primary. The country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge fund managers. It was built by you. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, check out Politics Weekly each Tuesday.